Welcome back, Podmates. Here's the continuation of my conversation with former Senator Laila Delima. I want to ask also what you think was your darkest time or moments in prison. There is no particular darkest time, but there were several really where I felt deep sadness. And that's when, uh, you know, loved ones and, and allies and friends uh, would leave the world. For example, the death of uh, my only sister-in-law, the death of uh, Pinoy, of, of Sek Dinky, of Sek Mon Jimenez. So I felt really deep sadness. It was revolting to me that I would not be able to pay my last respects to them. And another another moment of sadness is when I was not allowed to attend the graduation ceremony of my son, Vincent, who, who uh, eventually became a lawyer. The courts did not allow me to attend the graduation of my son. That was painful to me. Because I, I recall that uh, other uh, inmates, uh, even you know fellow senators, were allowed to be given uh, that privilege, no? Uh, they were allowed to uh, attend certain events outside of prison before returning to jail. But ikaw, hindi ka pinayagan at all, except for that visit to your mom, which you mentioned earlier. Visit to my mom and occasional medical furloughs for, for 24 hours or 48 hours because I, I made sure that I would undergo annual medical examination, checkup, even when I was in jail. So the court would allow me for either 24 hours or 48 hours for said purpose. But other than that, I was not allowed. Oh, the Thanksgiving of my son, I was allowed, I think, four hours, three to four hours uh, to, to attend that when, when he uh, passed the bar. Mm, well, congratulations to him, no? In October 2022, uh, no, ng uh, mga inmates who belong to the Abu Sayyaf. No? Uh, this is already during the Marcos administration. You didn't mention that as one of your darkest times, no? But oh, I just forgot about it. Uh it's it's really one of my darkest times. Scariest. 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 Yes. It's it's the scariest. Because I would imagine that would that, that, that would happen to me. That would happen in such facility as the PNP Custodial Center. And it was so harrowing. It was the scariest moment of my life because I thought that was the end of me. Because the the uh, the uh, 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 hostage taker was dead serious. He was suicidal. Uh, so it, so uh, he wanted to take me with him when he saw that it was you know, he was becoming desperate already because. He saw that there were uh, snipers about to take him down. So he said, you better c come with me. You, you will die also, mom. So he kept on saying that. You will die also. Although he would still call me mom when he, we were exchanging uh, uh, talks while I, while I was uh, being held hostage. I mean, you weapon, yeah. It was an improvised knife. It never penetrated because he, he, he constantly pressed it on my chest the whole time. And and then minsan nga talagang uh, maano ang pagkaka-press niya so I would cry 
ang sakit, wag naman ganyan. So he would he would adjust it a little and then after a while ganun na naman he would press it hard. Uh the, the, it, it it really caused uh, trauma, chest trauma. Uh for for several days it was uh um uh, painful my my chest and even my back. Um so I had to be confined in the hospital for several days after that incident. While you were his hostage, you were blindfolded and, yes. and tied, blindfolded, hand-tied, dito sa likod, and then my feet were also tied all the time. So I, I could just hear what, what, what he was saying and what, he, what was happening. I could hear the, uh, the negotiator when he came, the negotiator, Director Pespes, who was then the director of the uh, uh, Headquarters Support Service. And I was um, fortunate to have him as the negotiator because he thought fast. He did his part. And he was the one who shot the hostage taker when he saw that my life was at serious risk. So uh, that's how it ended, no? I recall from uh, a previous uh, conversation we had, no? It was humihi ng tubig. And then habang, habang inaabot yung tubig sa kanya, ng negotiator na to bumuto na ng baril no yung yung police negotiator and shot him yes kasi ano na hindi kasi hindi kasi pinagbigyan o pinagbibigyan yung mga hiling the requests the demands of the hostage taker where uh C130 plane military plane where uh, he could be brought to uh Sulu he also asked for a Hummer getaway vehicle and he also wanted media. He wanted to talk to media. The negotiator, Director Pespes, was bidding for time. You know, I knew that they would not, of course, accede to his demands. He was saying that that's not within my authority. Titingnan ko lang ang magagawa ko kung uh, kaya namin yan. And even when he was telling me, the hostage taker, to demand for those, I was telling him, I am in no position to ask for those because I'm also a detainee. And uh, I'm no longer in government. How could I? How could I ask for for those things? In fact, I'm an opposition uh, member. So hindi naman naniniwala yung boss Saker, ma'am, kaya niyo yan. Meron pa po kayong influenza. Sabi ko hindi. So even the hostess negotiator was saying that. So but when he sensed that those uh, demands are not being met, that's when he said, oras na ma'am. Mamamatay na tayo. And I got so scared when he started praying Islamic in, in Arabic. Ah, sabi ko, naku, seryoso, pala, seryoso talaga to na mamamatay at uh, papatayin din ako. I think he's asking for forgiveness already from Allah or or uh, saying goodbye already. So I started uh, praying na rin quietly while I was blindfolded and I was uh, I was saying, Lord, bahala na po kayo sa pamilya ko, bahala na po kayo sa akin. Pero sana, Lord, and that was my request, is that sana po, sandali lang, kung sasaksakin niya ako one shot lang para I don't suffer anymore, that there would be no uh, bleeding to death or, or slow death. So that was my request. And then suddenly, when he stopped praying, he suddenly asked for water. Well, he's probably uh, thirsty, but I was told later that 
water, asking for water and taking it was part of the ritual, saying goodbye ritual. So when I told him, because I was blindfolded and uh, hand-tied, I said, Gusto ko po ng tubig, ma'am. Sabi ko, Jan, gumano na po. Because the, my, my uh, uh, dispenser, my water dispenser was at my right side. So he said, no, hindi po, dapat po siya ang kumuha ng water para sa akin, referring to Director Pespes. So I said, Direc Director, gusto daw po niya ng tubig. But after saying that, I started praying again. So I didn't know anymore what was happening. The next thing I knew, there were shots. So later, uh, you know, it was close range shot. It was on my right side because the hostess taker was in front of me with his knife uh, pressed on my chest, constantly pressed on my chest. And according to the director, so when he saw that my life was in serious danger, he was determined already to take him down. But he was just waiting for the right timing. So that's the right timing when uh, when the hostess taker asked for water. But then, according to Director Pespes, I, I, I also wanted to make sure about two things. First, whether meron pang ibang daladalang armas, yung hostess taker, like for example, a hand grenade. And because that would be, you know, dangerous. He, he could not just shoot the uh, the hostess taker kung meron siyang granada. And also, you wanted to make sure daw na hindi ako magalaw, malikot. Kasi kung malikot ako, then uh, it's also risky to, to just shoot the hostess taker. Baka kasi ako ang matamaan. So when he was nearing the hostess taker, and with, with a glass of water daw, he saw na wala namang hand grenade at nakita daw niya ako. I was so still. He thought I was in shock, but, but I was actually praying. So that's the right time to, to shoot the guy. So, uh, nung inaabot na daw niya yung water, and uh, medyo umangat na yung, yung knife sa chest ko, that's when he shot him four times. Uh, it was so loud. Wala nga siyang one meter away from me, I think. Uh, sa, sa right side ko lang nung inaabot niya yung water sa, sa Jose Seke. So I never saw the actual shooting. I never saw how the hostess taker fell down because I was blindfolded. So linabas ka agad ako noon nung pagkatapos ng binarel yung hostess taker. And I just saw my shorts because I was in shorts and my legs covered with blood. So that's all I saw. So, and then I was taken out. I was brought to uh, the custodial office where they immediately checked me out. Kung, kung, uh, you know, my, my blood pressure, it shut, shut up. I think it became 170 over something. So, nag, nag, nag shoot up. And then they met silang portable EC, uh, ECG coming from the PNP, uh, the, the PNP uh, a general hospital. So, they checked my the condition of my heart, it was okay. So it was harrowing because I really thought it was my end. But you know, before that, before the uh, shooting, I was also talking to God. And I said, Lord, bakit naman ganito? Uh, Nagsakripisyo ako. Anim na taon. Uh, you know, here. And then, uh, ganun lang. The, the, that is how I would end all those sacrifices put to naught. 
mamamatay lang pala ako ng ganito under the circumstances. So that's, that was what uh, was uh, in my mind and pleading with God. But you know, the whole time, how we, because in situations like that, it's either the fear would overwhelm you or you overwhelm fear. You know, you, you, you fight it off. And, and that's what I did. I, I fought off my fear by appearing to be not, not uh, afraid. I was answering back. Sinasagot-sagot ko siya, yung F-Moses taker. Like for example, when he said, Ma'am, nasaan yung cellphone niyo? Dahil may tatawagan ako. May mga tatawagan ako. And then I said, wala akong cellphone. And then he said, imposible. Papatayin kita, ma'am, kung hindi mo ilabas ang, ang cellphone. Sabi ko, kahit patayin mo ko, wala kang makikita dyan. Kahit maghapon kang maghalungkat dyan sa mga things ko, wala kang makikita. So that's how I was talking to him. To show to him that I was not scared. and But that's actually my way of fighting off tremendous fear. Because, you know, if fear would overwhelm you, then you would not be able to think good. And, and you would, you know, you might just pass out. So I was fighting fear by doing that, by answering back to my hostage taker. Yeah, you, you were still rational and able to reason. No? So you, you had to have a certain calmness uh, at that time despite that situation a lot of people would have been panicking sabi niyo nga baka maraming tao na himatay na sa takot sa nervyos or even maybe just succumbed at that time because of that no so wow what a story uh thank you for sharing and i hope you don't mind that i asked you to recall such a traumatic uh, episode no no actually when i was at the pnp general hospital a group of uh as a psychologist or psychiatrist or check, checked out on me. And, and they were saying, Mom, okay, we don't see anything, uh, we don't see any trauma in you. You were able to handle it well. But you see, Mom, one way of really getting out of that, of, of that memory, is to frequently talk about it, talk about the experience. And that's what I did. Any, any, anyone who, who would ask me, I would narrate the story. You know, even even President Marcos when he called, he called President Bongbong called through the he phone. He called you right about, after the incident. Yeah, about one or two hours, about when I was at the custodial office before I I uh, was brought to the hospital. Uh, Secretary uh, Abalos visited me and he said, "Mom, the the president wanted want to talk to you through my phone." So I said, "Yes, of course." So nangumustasya pinakwento rin niya sa akin. Although not not really detailed, uh, so he was shocked because he thought it was just an attempt, a hostage taking attempt. He said you were really taken hostage. Yes, sir. And then, lalo siyang na shock no kunento ko na I was blindfolded, I was hand tied and feet tied. So that's, that's the advice of the psychiatrist. Just keep on narrating it to anyone who would who would want to uh, hear that story. It's it's part of your recovery from from the trauma. Although we said that you went through that ordeal. So I just wanted to ask about this call from President Marcos. No, so he he called to show his concern. Ganun or to ask you? Yes, I, yes, he was he was he was really very concerned that something like that would happen to somebody like me. 
that you know that I'm I'm supposed to be a high profile a detainee detainee there. And in fact, he offered to transfer me uh, to another. He said that if you want, we can transfer you to a safer place because we want you safe and and secure. And then, so but it, it's your decision. If you want to stay, it's okay. We will just beef up your security. So my decision was that. I better stay here because I'm familiar already with the, with the environment here and with the people here. And actually, one of the reasons also is I didn't want, I didn't want to uh, leave my cats. I could not just bring those cats to another detention facility, but Bawal's another detention facility. So true enough, when I when I decided to just stay put, they uh, reinforced my security. They put more guards. They put more CCTVs, and and uh, there were more restrictions actually when it comes to when it came to visits. So uh, that's how he was able to help the president. Yeah. Well, well, that's interesting that he would call you out of concern and you know even offer you know more more uh, protection or even more comfort more comfortable. Um, uh, let, let's put it this way, lodgings, no? Uh, because, uh, of course, you're the mortal enemy of his predecessor and even his ally, his then, you know, his ally. They were, they were still allies. Yeah, yes, they were they still were. allies. Of course, uh, his uh, former president, Duterte's daughter, Sarah, is the vice president. No? So, so they were still an alliance because he didn't have to call you. I mean, Secretary Abolos could have just relayed the message that uh, the president is... Yes, I appreciated it, of course. I appreciated the concern. I was, I was somewhat touched also, uh, you know, getting out of his way. In fact, uh, Secretary Abelos was saying that the president actually wanted to be there, wanted to go there at the custodial. But uh, something came up, so we, we, they settled for just uh, conversations via mobile phone. So I appreciated it. Okay, well, you uh, November last year, you were released on on bail for one of your cases, no? Uh, sabi niyo nga, na-quit na kayo dun sa dalawang kaso. Nagpasalamat kayo kay Pangulong Marcos, no? For for respecting the rule of law and the independence of the judiciary, no? So, do you don't think that you were released also for political reasons? I don't really think that. Uh, well, I must admit that the posturing of the BBM government with respect to my case. They'd rather not touch or meddle with the case. Because unlike before, I know I know I, I have information. I have sources telling me that really President Duterte through Senator Bongo would would influence certain judges. And I think that's one of the reasons why most of the judges inhibited themselves from from the case. Either they opted for early retirement or inhibited themselves just to avoid the pressure, just to avoid the cases. Now, with President Marcos, uh, there was no such effort to influence the courts uh, to rule against me. But I could feel that maybe they know that I deserve to be released, that I, I, I don't deserve to be in jail. So whether or not they did something, I, I don't know, to hasten or to facilitate my release, I really don't know. But one thing is sure, since the judge was left on his own volition to decide the case on the merits, 
it was easier for him to do so with Duterte out and then the president not meddling in a negative way. So it was it was easier for the judge because that was not that was not possible when Duterte was still the president. What judge would go against his will to keep me and let me rot in jail? That's what he said, right? That he would want me rot in jail. He would, so now that Duterte was not there and uh, President Bokbo did not meddle, then it was definitely easier. The independence of the judiciary was upheld and respected, and so was the rule of law. And the truth came out. Okay, but, but by not meddling and then allowing the judiciary to make a decision, yeah, I guess, based on the, the merits uh, of the case, that's being interpreted by many, of course, as you know, in a political way. No? Parang that's one of the signs daw of this crack in the alliance. Kasi kung talagang gusto ng uh, administration na patibayin itong alliance or ipagpatuloy itong alliance, then they would have kept you in jail. They could have found a way to keep you in jail, uh, but now now you're free, and you're one of you're now being cited as a reason why uh, this alliance is is cracking up. Because uh, you know you were you were jailed uh, on, during the Duterte administration, who, which didn't like you, uh, and now you're saying that you know after this hostage situation, President Marcos reached out and expressed his concern and even made this offer of moving you to another facility and then chose not to meddle whereas before sabi nyo nga the previous administration was meddling uh, so hindi, hindi nag-meddle napalaya kayo so ano nga eh nagkakaroon ng mas malaking implication ito as you know no, beyond your own case yeah I, I would not deny the fact that the cracks then, eh, ngayon, ano na, all out na, di ba? All out hostility na, ant antagonism. It seems unredeemable, you know, the, the division between them. But back then, the cracks were showing already in last quarter of the of last year. It, the cracks were showing already. That was a factor. I will not deny that. You know, the judge could see that uh, the Duterte would have no influence already. And, and he could see that this government is not bent on keeping me in jail. Maybe he saw it through. There's, there was no express pronouncement, explicit pronouncement from anyone in government, especially the president, that he would want me released because th their statement was just, the case is now with the courts. Because, you know, I had information also that every time uh, the president was abroad for official trips, my case would always be mentioned on the sidelines of his meeting with uh, heads of state and other high officials of other of uh, foreign governments. But his answer would always be, according to my sources, the case is now with the courts. Let the court decide it. So while there was no explicit pronouncement about, I want him released, I think the courts got the point. You know, do what is right. Do it, decide on the basis of merits, and we will not make your life difficult. So there was an indirect message to the court or to the judge. I would not deny that. Nabanggit niyo yung, ano, itong, uh, this international lobbying on your behalf, no? Because you were in prison for nearly seven years and became known as one of the most prominent 
prisoners of conscience in the world. You became famous for that. And then, nung nirelease ka late last year, you said that one of your priorities now as a free person is accountability, uh, not just for what happened to you, but for all the killings that happened during the Duterte administration. And you were going to assist the International Criminal Court, yung ICC. But this was back in November, no? So now that you're in the real world, you're, you know, you're dealing with, you know, having to make a living and running a household and taking care of your cats. I mean, ganun, ganun pa rin ba yung inyong priority and perspective? Yung pa rin ang gusto yung gawin. Using your prominence and stature and whatever platform you have internationally to seek yes. accountability through the ICC. Ganun pa rin, Howie. It's accountability for the killings, the thousands of killings under that sham war on drugs, and at the same time, accountability for what they did to me, the persecution, the oppression. They deprived me of the of prime years of my life. Almost seven years is almost seven years. It's no joke. I could have done a lot. I could have uh, performed fully my, my functions and duties as then senator, but it, was be it, it became so limited because I could only file bills and resolutions and I could not participate in deliberations, in debates. I could not cast my vote on important legislative measures. So, uh, I've been monitoring, of course, very closely the developments of the ICC. And I could see that they're wrapping up already their preliminary investigation. And therefore, the issuance of the warrant of arrest is not far-fetched. The issuance of the warrant of arrest any time would be a, a reality. So, yan parin, Because... They they did this to me because of that core advocacy of mine. Because I had the gall to have him investigated. In 2009, when I was with the CHR, I had him investigated for the DDS killings. In 2016, when uh, he started this killings, this Tokpang killings, then I had him investigated also by the Senate by filing that resolution barely 13 days after his assumption to power, so the, this this is the root of of uh, the, my my oppression, my fighting in behalf of the helpless, powerless, voiceless victims of the drug war killings. So how could I not stop pursuing that? Now that I am free, I would really want Mr. Duterte and his cohorts held accountable by the ICC which has the expertise and the determination, the uh, firm determination to do its job, something that is not being done under any domestic mechanism of ours. I wanted to ask you that, attorney, no? because uh, we previously talking about your faith in the judicial system, and that's why you returned home to face the music. Nakulong kayo at you followed the rules, and then now you're saying you were released because... The judicial system worked uh, in your case. Uh, respect for rule of law. You you praise the Marcos administration for that. So, because the ICC is supposed to step in when there's the this failure of the state not to deliver justice. But now that you think that the judiciary is showing some independence, why rely now on the ICC when? when you've shown so much faith in our judicial system? There may be an apparent inconsistency, but there is no real inconsistency with such a position, Howie. 
Why? Because yes, the ICC under the complementary rule can intervene if the state is unable or unwilling, genuinely, to do an investigation. So it's more of a case-to-case -case basis. We're talking here about the accountability of Mr. Duterte and the likes of Senator Pato de la Rosa, the chief enforcer of the Tokhan killings. Now, is there any domestic body, court, officer, any domestic mechanism who's now running after them. They're not even investigated by any investigative body like the NBI, PNP, or whatever. The DOJ has also not filed any case against Mr. Duterte and Senator Bato. So that is a clear demonstration of unwillingness, unwillingness and inability to investigate this officials with the highest responsibility for the killings. So ICC is well within its rights, is well within its mandate to meddle or to intervene. So there's no real inconsistency in that, uh, Howie. Okay, uh, sabi nyo na an arrest warrant or arrest warrants kasi more than one na ang, ang kakasuhan are forthcoming kasi nga uh, yung ICC is already uh, wrapping up its investigation according to your own uh, sources no but but what are, what is the likelihood of an actual arrest kasi iba yung warrant to serving the arrest warrant that will require the of course the cooperation of the Philippine government unless former president Duterte leaves the Philippines and goes to another country where the w warrant of arrest can be served which is also unlikely so, what is the likelihood that na ma-arresto siya talaga? And how does the current Marcos Duterte feud affect the chances of a Duterte arrest if the ICC issues an arrest warrant? I could see that that's one of the reasons why nagwawala na si Duterte. Out and out na yung antagonism niya kay President Marcos. Because I think he suspects that the BBM and his administration are, are really operating with the ICC. Maybe not yet in the full extent of the full uh, idea of, an, of, a, of cooperation. Maybe he felt that ultimately the president would order the enforcement of the arrest. It's a matter of political will actually on the part of BBM if he's going to do that. Either he would not meddle with the ICC in enforcing the warrant of arrest or give orders to appropriate authorities like the PNP to cooperate and to serve the warrant of arrest. So you're correct that it does not necessarily mean that when an, a warrant of arrest, an international warrant of arrest, will be served right away. But you know, the mere issuance of warrant of arrest would have a, so big an impact if that happens. It's, it's a huge impact on our well-being as a as a society, that uh, finally justice is coming for the victims of the drug war killings. Now, the enforcement of the warrant of arrest is another matter, but it will limit the movements of Duterte because he cannot just go anywhere, especially in, in the state parties of, of the Rome Statute. There are 123 state parties to the Rome Statute. So 
any of those countries, if it goes there, would are actually obliged to uh, enforce the warrant of arrest. The same thing with us. We are obliged to, to serve the warrant of arrest, even if we are no longer a member of the uh, ICC or a, par a state party to the Rome Statute because of the uh, withdrawal in 2018 by Duterte from it. So, uh, but we're still under obligation to cooperate for the investigation on crimes that happened at the time that we were still a member state. And that was in 2011 when we acceded to the Rome Statute up to 2019 when the withdrawal became effective. That's clear in the Rome Statute, notwithstanding, you know, the, the pronouncements that uh, we cannot cooperate because the ICC no longer has jurisdiction. That's not accurate. We are still obliged to cooperate in the investigation over crimes against humanity that happened during the time that we were still a state, a member state. Okay, Attorney Dilim, I want to wrap up by asking you, because uh, you've served uh, in government uh, for a long time, no? Uh, under different administrations, you were chair of the Commission on, on Human Rights, you were Secretary of Justice, you were, you were a senator. How do you view how our culture and society uh, have changed over that period of time, especially in the context of itong ang, ano, this wide, it's seemingly widespread acceptance of extrajudicial killings during the time of uh, a President Duterte. People were actually applauding. They were cheering on, you know, these these killings which, which shocked, you know, certain people, a lot of people also, but there were a lot of people who felt it was the right thing to do, you know? So, parang parang ng Something cultural was also going on. No, now, no. So you, you've had a chance to kind of reflect on all of this. No, uh, being in prison for a long time and being a victim yourself. No, I mean, any thoughts you want to share about what is happening to our society? Can we recover from that? Can it change for the better? It's really frustrating and disappointing that we had that culture under Duterte acceptance of the wrong things. You know, it, it, you know, as if the Filipino were placed under the spell of, of this demagogue that, you know, that uh, all of a sudden it was all right to, to see killings, just that, unjust and extrajudicial killings. Now, uh, we have to put blame on, this, on the Frankenstein that is the social media. You know, the social media is the culprit in, in all of this, aside from Duterte himself, who exploited, the, uh, uh, who exploited certain situations in our country and he, he was speaking the language of the masses who would enjoy his uh, toxic uh, language. So it was disappointing and frustrating. But again, just like, just like uh, my uh, attitude towards the justice system, I never lost faith in the Filipino people because inherently they know what is right, what is wrong. It's just that certain circumstances in the political milieu would compel them to go to go by uh, the uh, the wrong side because they were manipulated people who were so expert in in manipulating the mindset and and the uh, attitude of 
of the masses. So they were also victims of all of this. So I never lost faith in the Filipino people, no matter how frustrating it was. Well, on that uh, hopeful note, uh, Attorney Delima, we want to thank you and wish you much luck in your future missions. Thank you for sharing and for standing up for principle. Former Senator and Prisoner of Conscience, Laila Delima, and now a free woman. Mabuhay po kayo at maraming maraming salamat. Maraming salamat, Howie. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Thanks for listening, Podmates. Download this episode so you can listen to it anytime, anywhere. Stay safe, Podmates. <laughs>